I just think, like we said at the start, especially for younger listeners, um, like just make sure whatever you're doing, you're doing it for yourself and you're following a good passion. And then once you know what that passion is, ask people your respect in that field for advice and, and just see where things go from there. Welcome back to Infinity Inc, where I talk to some of the world's brightest founders and thinkers about their bold visions for the future and the thinking that went into them. All in an easily digestible half an hour. We'll be focusing on ideas and companies that can have a transformative impact on the world, including everything from new school systems to seasteading. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Daniel, so great to have you on here. Uh, now you've a legendary status among the DCU entrepreneurial community, but um, for people who are not aware of, of any of your work or your background, do you mind sharing a bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, as you said, my name is Daniel Kine. I've just finished uh, in marketing, innovation and technology in DCU. Uh, a little bit about my background. So right now, I'm the founder and CEO of OpinionX. We're making uh, a new type of online discussion tool to help you understand really large groups of people and all their wonderful complexities. Before doing that, I've been involved in a number of different things inside and outside of college. So in college, some of the main stuff I was involved in was really around Enactus. Uh, the Social Entrepreneurship Society that's in colleges around the world. In first year, I was a project leader. Second year, I led the, the project side of the whole society and represented Ireland at the World Cup twice in that. Otherwise, some of the stuff I've been involved in, I'm a community leader and a global facilitator for Techstars, helping run startup weekend events around Europe. I spent two years leading, helping to lead Dublin Tech Summit, which is Ireland's largest technology conference. And then before that, I was one of the founding members of the Digital Youth Council of Ireland, which was the first digital youth council model set up in the world. So that's kind of a, a lightning tour overall. So yeah, you've, you've been playing a game for a long time. Do you, if we take it back, you know, all the way to your earliest days, do you remember any of the worst ideas that you, you ever pitched? You probably pitched a lot of them at this stage. Yeah, I pitched a low, more than I can count at least, especially having participated in so many hackathons and stuff. Mm. The ironic thing is, to be honest, the worst idea that I pitched was not even that long ago. Uh, so we, I took part in a startup weekend maybe when I was in second year of college. It wasn't an idea I pitched originally, but it was one that I ended up pitching in, like, to the judges on, on the end of the yeah. hackathon. Um, it was essentially like a company to help you set up the, the sort of thing when you log on to a public Wi-Fi. And it, you'd like come onto a page where you have to like the company on Facebook or whatever to get access to it. I mean, something that completely exists already. Yeah. Uh, and we pitched that to a group of judges that were just like so confused as to why we were even pitching it in the first place. So that was probably the worst one um, that I've done. So after you you were kind of um, doing all this kind of stuff, even like throughout throughout secondary school as well. But then was there, was there a defining moment when you, when you came into college that you kind of decided to, to focus more on relationship building and, and getting experience under your belts um, rather than trying to start companies? So it wasn't so much as a defining moment, really. So I, I had started working on uh, what I wanted to build as my first startup. It was called Rescope. It was a music uh, discovery pl or music announcement social platform. Uh, I started building that right after I finished my junior cert, and I worked on that pretty much for all of TY, and then a little bit of fifth year and sixth year. Around Christmas in, I think, sixth year, I sent on the recommendation of a mentor of mine at the time, I sent an email to Paddy, Post or, um, Paddy Collison, 
from Stripe yeah. um, on Christmas Eve and he weirdly responded the exact same day within an hour, uh, basically just looking for advice as someone who was like a young founder at the time um, yeah. and who had gotten a start really early as to what I should do. And I remember he emailed back basically saying like, I should not be building a startup, that that was not the right thing to do. Like go enjoy school, build loads of new experiences, meet cool people, think about doing it later. And at the time I did not like that response at all. It was not something I really paid much attention to. And then a few months later, maybe around May, right before the leaving cert, I came back across the email again. And I, I kind of understood a lot more at that stage what he was trying to say. So I, in first year of college, I gave a talk a few times that kind of uh, at a few different events that, that like summarized my view on that transition that you said from trying to jump straight into entrepreneurship to building connections and credibility and everything. And I framed it around a, a format around three different C's. So it was build community, build credibility, then build a company. And that, that like you said, that was the approach that I took when I came into college. Uh, I wanted to get involved in as many things as possible. I started working at Dublin Tech Summit about a week before my leaving cert results and took on as, as much responsibility as I could really. I went from intern to one of the department managers within two months. I just like basically jumped in as much as possible and I joined uh, maybe three societies as well and I was just flat out. So yeah, I really embraced the idea that if I want to build something, I'm not going to be able to do it unless I actually know people who can enable it along the way. There's just this such a big presumption that people like Mark Zuckerberg were like super talented with a great idea. And that's just like not the case. And it's never the case. It's like Mark Zuckerberg is super talented, a great idea and a whole support network that he built around him to mm. enable that to flourish. And that was what I really focused on building at the time. That's really interesting. Would your advice to say 16, 17 year old Daniel be the same thing that, that Patrick Collison told you? Or do you think there's other ways that you could like find a community of builders at, at a young age? So I'd, I'd never say flat out that you shouldn't go into building something at that stage like that it, it's definitely not a blanket rule it, it most definitely applied to me at the time i think part of that was because i didn't fully understand what problem i was trying to solve and i didn't really have the experience as the customer of that problem so the way i, I was approaching that idea didn't really work anyway so it's good advice for me at the time what i would say overall is just like follow something you're passionate in and do it for yourself like, I don't know fully if I was doing it 100% for myself at the time. I had started attending things like Startup Weekends, and I just fell in love with the culture and the type of people who were at those events. And I, I think I was just building a startup really to stay involved in the community that I really yeah. associated well with. So, yeah, I, I just think follow something you're passionate with. Don't be doing it with this great goal in mind of, like, building a huge company. If, if it's something you're really interested in, it'll turn into... The, the right end output that it should be. If that's a company or not, I'm not sure. But just, yeah, follow something you're interested with and find other people who are interested in it as well. That's that's probably the right approach to take. Yeah, that's great advice. I wish I had that uh, a few years back. And just on one of the three Cs, the connections part, I remember I asked you a question, you were giving a talk on an entrepreneurship forum in DCU and I said, you know, how do you reach out to these people when you're, you're unknown, like you don't have that much to offer. And you said very, what was sage advice, you said, master the art of a great cold email. Do you have any uh, tips for young people reaching out to people further along? 
So I, I definitely think the cold email is the way to go, especially at the start when you don't have the network to help give you introductions to people. And there's a few things you can do to get really good at that. Um, the one thing that I always recommend it to friends, not even for a cold email, but things like building a CV or writing something in general, is to just read it way more times than you think you need to. Um, just read it over and over and over again. Rewrite it. Don't send it on the first go. I mean, the, the email that got me the job at Dublin Tech Summit was sitting in my inbox for like, or as a draft for like three days before I actually hit send. Um, so yeah, I, I would just kind of uh, spend a lot of time rereading it. Uh, put yourself in their shoes and see the way that they're going to see this email as well and, and what way they'll interpret it. But overall, just do not be worried about emailing people. Like you can email absolutely anyone in the world. It's so, so easy. People think that you're never going to get a response and you absolutely are. I mean, I've got responses for, from cold emails from people in the White House, people in Westminster, in NASA, like the CEO of Airbnb. Like you can literally email anybody you want. And, yeah. and if you write a good email, you will get a response. Yeah, it's it's a, probably a really un, underappreciated thing that you can literally reach out to anyone and it's such an asymmetric risk to take. Like if if they respond, it's amazing and you can get unlock such a great opportunity. If they don't, like they're not gonna remember who you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it took you like 10 minutes. Definitely that. zero risk overall. I mean, the one thing you've gotta have in your head is like what, it's not necessarily that you need to be giving them value. Uh, because yeah. a lot of people are willing to give time on sort of a mentorship basis, especially when you're younger uh, or a student, but you got to know that you're not wasting this person's time at the same time. And um, yeah. you're going to ask them questions that are going to impact your own decisions because that that's really what they want to see is that their advice impacted the, the uh, actions that you took afterwards. So as long as you, you have that in mind, like there's no risk involved really. And make sure the answer to your question is not Googleable, because you know, yeah, the, that that is a very good caveat. So during your time at TechStars and, and all the startup weekends you organized and participated in, you definitely saw your fair share of startup ideas. And I was just wondering if you could boil down, you know, the substrate of your of your thinking, like what makes a, a great startup idea or even a good startup idea. So I think it's possibly easier to flip this and say what makes a bad startup idea because those, yeah. those are really easy to diagnose. And I've seen hundreds of pitches at this stage of like 60 second pitches of people presenting to an audience of people they don't know and trying to convince them to join at the start of a hackathon. And there's just two types that appear constantly. The first one is a type that has gotten a little bit more common to see, especially as social entrepreneurship has come to the forefront, especially for young people, is ideas that there is absolutely no way you're going to be able to monetize it. And those ideas do exist in a, cer in a certain place, but for like scale-focused entrepreneurship, it's, it's just never going to run really. And the whole idea of like build it, uh, get a good user base and stick advertising on it like does not work anymore. That's, mm. And it's not that it doesn't work anymore recently. It's just not worked in such a long time. So yeah, that, that's one of them um, for sure. The other one that's more common overall is ideas that are made without any understanding of the context of the person the problem affects. That's the really, really common one. In a way, that's what I was doing at Rescope. I was trying to build this platform for musicians and I had not talked to a single musician. I was just like a fan who was frustrated with not being able to uh, like, or with missing out on a concert or finding an album from my favorite artist that was like dropped two months ago. 
but I'd never really gone and talked to musicians. And because of that, it just did not fit at all with the real world. And that is unbelievably common. I'd say at Startup Weekends, a good 70% of ideas are that. Um, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if restaurants did this? Have yeah. you worked in a restaurant? Have you talked to any restaurant owners? And it's always a no. Um, and I mean, that's fine for something like a hackathon because we then encourage you to go out of the building, go talk to restaurant owners. But really, that's the fundamental issue with, um, with a lot of them. So if you bring both of those together, the, the recipe for a good idea probably is one that's very much based in the reality of the problem uh, that a real person faces and one where you know there, there's a monetizable route to, to bringing it to market. Yeah. So there's that. There's, there's those issues. There's also, I think I sent you a LinkedIn a while ago and it was, it was kind of textbook. Like, do you think this idea sounds nice? And you said, "Will go read the mom test um, yeah. by Rob Fitzpatrick. So that's a good one. But uh, what other pitfalls do you think like student entrepreneurs or young entrepreneurs fall into? I mean, one of the big ones is something we've talked about a little bit already. And that's thinking that you can do it on your own. And you just can't really. I mean, in my role over the last year, while I've been trying to build Opinion X, a huge amount of my job is just emailing people, asking them for their time, their advice, um, their introductions like it's all a network game really mm. uh, and that's how you build a lot of your momentum as well so the one of the biggest issues I see around student entrepreneurs is just thinking that you can do it on your own that'd be the first the second might be like not really seeing the resources and the programs that are out there to support you beyond the university campus I mean there are loads of things going on in terms of pre-seed funding, grants, competitions, um, and, and knowing how to win those and, and how to go about them is, is a little bit tricky when you don't know at first. But uh, yeah, looking beyond the university campus for opportunities is a big one as well. So yeah, and in that kind of research that you spoke about for Opinion X, you spoke briefly before about how being a student was such a big advantage in getting in, you know, behind doors and talking to really people in high places. Uh, do you want like, walking people through like who were you, who you were able to talk to by leveraging that kind of student identity? Yeah. So I, I definitely make the decision on a case by case basis, whether I'm going to email someone off my college email account or off my work email account. And it, you have to be very strategic about the way you do it because one opens the door for very honest advice and the other maintains credibility if you're looking to sell so depending on the hat that I want to wear that determines the email address that I send the email from so even knowing that is is kind of good um, yeah the places that like those emails have taken me have been really beneficial I mentioned a little bit earlier about getting a response from Westminster so one of the things I did very early on before I had really built anything other than a few mock-ups for what opinion X might look like I saw an article written in the Financial Times by uh, Gordon Brown, the former Prime Minister of the UK, like straight away just looked up his email address, sent him his office an email, got a response within 24 hours, and then got a meeting for the following week in the House of Lords. I mean, and it, it was just like an, an instant kind of thing. And it's like I said, if you're either looking for advice, that, that one wasn't looking for advice, but if you're looking for advice or if you have something to offer, just like put your, like your confidence out there and say that you can do it. So I basically emailed Gordon Brown said, I'm building exactly what you're describing. I want to have a conversation with you because I, like I can help. 
and he got me a, a meeting with the former Minister for Justice, who's in the House of Lords at the moment. I went in, had a conversation with him for maybe an hour in, in the House of Lords, and got a, a lovely tour of Westminster overall, which is very cool. And really, that was an inflection point in what we did at Opinion X anyway. It was a moment where all of a sudden, one email created one introduction, which created two more introductions, each of which created another two or three. And before I knew it, like every single week I was meeting somebody new. Two months later, I was in Paris at a conference because of an introduction that I gotten from that like stemmed all the way back to that first email to Gordon Brown. And um, so, yeah, it, in a way, part of the, the reason that happened was because every single one of those conversations ended with me asking, okay, who do I need to talk to next? And, and getting a, a warm introduction from them. So yeah, that, that cold email, again, was something that really got the ball rolling for us. It's amazing the serendipity, those kinds of, kinds of things can spark. You just don't know where it's gonna take you. And drilling down specifics for a second, was that a, a Rocket Reach job or one of those things, getting Gordon Brand's email? So I've never actually used Rocket Reach at all. I have like a whole uh, range of tricks for finding people's email addresses. So that one was a little bit different. I, I'm a World Economic Forum Global Shaper, and okay. there's actually a, like a private social network with everyone involved in the World Economic Forum. So I, got, I did find his email address through that. So that was a little bit different. But overall, even if, if, even if I didn't have that, I would have been able to find it. And part of the reason for that is, so there's three main tricks that I use. The first is that nearly everyone who has sent any decent volume of tweets has tweeted out their email address. And you can find it very easily knowing how to do search functions on social media. So, and a lot of the time people don't even put their actual email address. They'll write like will space dot uh, space like Robins. They'll, they'll use the words instead of the symbols. So I specifically look for that as well. And, and to be honest, you can find any CEO's email by doing that because they've all posted it before. If not, I use a tool called hunter.io. Oh, yeah. Hunter basically scans the entire internet for permutations of email addresses under a specific domain and, and then kind of identifies the, the pattern that that company uses for their email addresses. And then even beyond that, just guessing. So yeah. for example, like the ones where I would have emailed people in the likes of NASA or Airbnb, I think I sent 10 emails to all the different variations I thought their email address could have been, knowing that. I would just keep going until one of them didn't bounce. So I would do like first name at company.com, last name at company.com, first dot last, uh, f like the first letter, and then your whole last name, uh, like loads of different variations. So you can just guess. I mean, there's that, that's not much of a trick. The, every, yeah. Nearly every email address is a specific format. So just guess and you're, you're going to get through eventually. Okay, that's uh, that's one for me to... to yeah. That's amazing. A lot of success it seems is just being willing to to do those type of you know it doesn't take any talent to do that just no. a bit of, a bit of grit. there's definitely no talent involved in that that's just <laughs> great and it's just a bit of determination as well yeah we'll dive into opinion x a bit now like how did you develop what what was the like, kind of kernel of the idea maybe it was that speech by gordon Ryan, and how did you then develop it over time like how did it evolve so Opinion X was actually an idea that came up over a conversation at home over dinner, maybe when I was in fifth year of secondary school. Um, so it actually came quite a long time ago. I don't even know how many years ago that is. One, two, three, four, five, maybe five-ish years, five or six years ago. It was around, I think, the time of the US 
election that was taking place. And so the original kernel was like, young people are going to reach this point of extreme frustration if their voice isn't going to be heard in meaningful ways. Social media is most definitely not the way to, to voice any opinion if you want to see impact from it. And I mean, a year after that conversation with Cambridge Analytica, which really validated that, um, it was something I didn't actually do any work on. It was just a conversation that kept coming up along with a few other ideas that I had at the time. The, the thing that actually kicked it off was that the Citizens Assembly happened in Ireland. And once I saw this, I, I remember watching the live stream for most of a Saturday, maybe in first year of college, around the Citizens Assembly, thought it was just the most interesting and incredible thing going on. Just for people who don't know what that is, it's like a, an event that was run every month for 18 months by the government, where they brought a random group of 99 citizens from around the country together to like deliberate and vote on specific topics that then delivered recommendations into the government on how they should legislate for these issues. Um, so yeah, I, I was looking at the Citizens Assembly, really interested in what was going on. I sent a, a, a cold email to the Citizens Assembly and got access as a researcher to go in and view what was going on there. And from there, again, just started to really learn what the process actually was. I started to connect with experts around the world in the area of participatory democracy. And then I basically came to the conclusion that what we needed to build was a digital version of the Citizens Assembly. So a deliberative platform with real impact that delivered out of it that much more than 99 people could participate in at once mm -hmm. on a distributed platform. That was essentially what I wanted to build at the time. Uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like, nothing like that. I just knew the area it should apply to. And from that, like I said, it was just cold emails. It was introductions for people and going to events. And I basically did that for the guts of second year of college um, up until about halfway through my internship year and third year, which is when I sent the email to Gordon Brown. And that's when I started building out proper prototypes for what it should look like. Uh, towards the end of that summer, which is a year ago now, I put together an application for the Enterprise Ireland New Frontiers Phase 2 program, which includes 15,000 euro worth of equity-free funding, um, got declined straight away, uh, applied again about a month later for another one of the New Frontiers programs and got accepted for that, and then met my co-founder Dara uh, the same month that I put that application in, and we started working together maybe two or three weeks after that. I mean, if you, if you were to take like a still image from any point along those five years, it just doesn't look anything what it looks like today. It, yeah. was, it was like one of the things that Dara and I talk about a good bit as like a core like, um, element of the culture that we're gonna keep building and something that's already at the center of what we're doing at OpinionX is that strong opinions loosely held, basically is what we really say is an important thing to do and to have as, as your approach to opinions in general. So yeah, I had a, a very strong opinion that we needed to develop something that m gave people a meaningful way to both share their opinion, but also to create actionable insights and output as a result of. And yeah, we, we basically just like piece by piece went about figuring out how we do that, where, where it would apply and going literally to, to like a range of different sectors. Like we talked to public sector nationally and regionally. We talked to market research agencies. We talked to enterprise customers, to universities. It, it was not like we really knew where this was going to go to yeah. first. We talked to nonprofits as well and NGOs. 
So like, yeah, we, it was just conversations. It, it most definitely is not like a, a one thing that like one lightning bolt or one light bulb moment. It, it's not really like that. It's just conversations every single week and, and building together all of the information that, that we get from those. So strong opinions, you know, have a, have a hypothesis that you're actually going to test and loosely held, I suppose, iterate on it as yeah. you get feedback from, yeah. from people. So as it's been up and running in, in the last few months, your first real test, if I'm uh, correct in saying that, was with the DCU student body and their response to online learning. What were some of the most surprising kind of conclusions that, that came out of that? So to start with, we launched with DCU way before we were ready, which is what we knew we had to, uh, to do as well. Um, but we had essentially only started the build, building the product the very end of December, start of January, and we like confirmed to launch with them in March. It, it ended up being April, but basically just three months of part-time development just from my co-founder Dara on his own. We were very much not ready, which is something that you should do. The, the way the platform worked at that stage and what we were trying to do. So DCU had gone into full lockdown, like all the other universities in Ireland at the time. We were about three weeks into remote learning at the time when we confirmed that we were going to go ahead with the Opinion X discussion. And the idea was just to figure out what's going well, what's not going well, and to crowdsource some ideas to improve things for students. That was the, the entire uh, reason why we were launching it. The way the platform worked at the time was we just put those three questions up a very short video from Christine Farrell, who is the uh, president of the Students' Union, and we sent the link out to all students. The way that their interaction with it worked was that they, they saw those questions, the video from Christine, and then the actual engagement was really simple. People could write in their opinion as a short written statement about the length of a, of a tweet, and then every other user would randomly see that statement in a feed of randomized opinions and they would just agree disagree or pass on it so and then they could all users could also see a full list of the results as well so we opened the results to everybody and um, okay so that that's basically how it worked one of the really interesting things that we found from it and it was something that we thought was possible through the platform but it, it was validated in our very first use case which was really interesting is what we call independent compromise so in the dcu discussion the population taking part, which is about 400 students, was really divided on a specific topic, which is called the no detriment policy. So a bunch of students, about 3,000 had signed a petition asking DCU to basically freeze their semester one results and say that they couldn't do any worse than that grade, regardless of what came out as their semester two result. And it was very divisive at the time and um, people attached to it very emotionally. And we saw like quite a large group of people taking part were very, very much um, attached to the need for no detriment. And then we had a smaller a much quieter group that were not really keen on the idea of it. And the university was not really keen on it either. They hadn't shown that they were going to adopt it at all. But what we saw happen on Opinion X without any facilitator was that a new comment came out that bridged the gap between both of those groups. And what it identified really was that the, the strength of opinion around no detriment policy was really just driven by students 
feeling that the university wasn't recognizing the struggle that they were going through in adopting to remote learning, especially just before exams. And that opinion just got widespread consensus from both groups. And really it helped us to diagnose what was a, an underlying problem that DCU had no idea about. <clears throat> and that really it affected the way DCU approached exams a little bit closer to the date. And not only that, I mean, we, we produced like a 40 page report for DCU based on the discussion. And that, that report ended up going in to every dean of every school within the college, to the overall president of the university as well. And it, it definitely influenced what's going to be the remote learning strategy that's implemented as we start back to college in, in October as well. And for us, it was just hugely important as a milestone for OpinionX. I mean, we ended up getting three more customers, inbound customers as well, not ones that we went to sell to, purely because we just got the ball rolling as well. Without those customers, we would never really have been able to close any of the pre-seed funding that we've gotten as a result, which we're using to build out the team and our sales focus so yeah, going out before we were ready was really the key to, to that and most certainly another inflection point as well. The inflection points just keep on coming. Well, it was a, yeah, it was a really successful first trial and I think Opinion X, what it's really good for, it gets rid of a whole host of cognitive biases that might reduce the likelihood of someone actually expressing their real opinion. Um, like There's this whole concept of pluralistic ignorance where a majority of group members privately reject norm, but you know they just go along with it because they incorrectly assume that most people accept it. On Opinion X, you know nobody knows who you are, so you can just speak whatever opinion you want. Also, as another thing with the anonymity is that you don't have that halo effect where if you like someone or really admire someone, you'll be more inclined to agree with their opinion. So there are two things that I think. Opinion X enables a much richer discourse and kind of broadens the scope of what people are actually able to say. But I'm just wondering, what's the, what's the ultimate vision for Opinion X? Say we, we go forward 10 years or so, what does the world look like if Opinion X is successful? Yeah, so there's kind of two different, two different sides to this. One of them is, is the way I, I kind of mentioned at the start, that at Opinion X, we're trying to help the world understand each other. Mm. Um, so that, that's quite a, like a, a white cloud sort of ambition of ours that we're aiming for. Uh, another side of it though, and something that I think we are working to in general, is uh, to build the platform for decentralized decision-making, which I think is really important as well. When like part of my incentive for that is looking at uh, a lot of movements that are springing up around the world that get a huge amount of, of traction off the back of a specific event and then really struggle to identify clear aims and to unite a movement around specific output and goals that they'd like to achieve. So if you think from all the way at that sort of extreme end, all the way down to like local community groups who want to engage people and have them really involved in decision making, like I, I think really across that whole spectrum, we're trying to build a platform that allows everybody to make a decision together rather than a specific leader and like trying to, to basically say that they understand the population enough to make decisions for them. So I think we're, we're, we're really trying to figure out still what way this is going to impact different sectors as we roll out and what order we're going to reach each of those sectors in. But yeah, long term, I think we, we really want to build something that everybody can use to, to make engagement and decision making a little bit more democratic and, and a lot smarter as well.
Yeah, that's a, a bold vision. But you had the idea a long time ago. But I think the wine for for Opinion X probably more compelling than ever. It's it's just the increasing divide between people and and the lack of consensus on pretty much anything. If you like, mm. if you scroll through Leo Varadkar's Twitter comments, you have you know all out war. And so yeah, and he, and some of the best responses to COVID were those kind of bottoms up decentralized. Yeah. approaches you know wear masks wash your hands yeah and they prove to be some of the most effective yeah it's all um, about community buy-in in a lot of ways and and there's no better way to to create community buy-in than to understand what the community want in the first place mm. um, so yeah that's really what we're trying to to build that's awesome best of luck to you and i've, I've every every faith in you and the team and um, we might just hop into a, a quick fire round yeah, sure. So I'll just name a word and or okay. thing and see what you have to say about it. Don't want to put you on the spot. We can uh, okay. edit it out. <laughs> We're uh, speaking about before the podcast how you've been running Opinion X remotely. So any any thoughts on remote work? Yeah, I mean, it's forced adoption to the extreme. We definitely weren't a company that were anticipating remote work from the start. We were pretty set on jumping into a startup co-working space, raising a seed round, trying to get an office just for ourselves mm. um, and building a team from there. So it was not in the pipeline for us by any means, but we've fully ad- adopted uh, adopted it and adapted to it, really. we've and, and not really with any major difficulty. I mean, the tools were all there. A little bit like how I think we, we're coming in at a great time where, like you said, there's a lot of polarization and a lot of um, desire from and ambition from people to share their opinion on things. Uh, but also like the, the unusual context of COVID where people can't even see each other anyway. So while I think we're, we're coming in at, at an interesting time for that, um, all these sort of tools that enable remote working are the exact same. Like they built out a range of different tools that they just didn't anticipate the need for it yeah. to, the, to the level that they've got. So yeah, we're jumping in, we're, we're building a remote team for this foreseeable future and we're going to see how things go from there. Yeah. And, and maybe one of the main criticisms of remote work is that they wouldn't be optimum for startups in that kind of idea phase where everything's kind of fuzzy, nebulous, and you want people kind of jamming on ideas together. But if you found the communication tools are good enough that you can get really good work done. Yeah, I find the communication tools like absolutely fine. We keep in touch a lot over messaging, like messaging tools. And then we have our main meetings, every uh, like structured meeting start and end of the week over Zoom. But I mean, again, it's kind of a stereotype of startups that the best ideas come out of like a group of really intelligent people sitting in a room in a company office like throwing ideas around and I would really challenge that like I think all the best ideas probably come from conversations with customers and users instead and it's just bringing those conversations into the office and people talking about them is what gets the the best features built and the best products created and we can still do that over zoom so yeah I, I think the focus definitely around that side of things about losing the social interaction can be maintained and it's probably just like not really in line with what reality really is anyway yeah yeah and finally then the most impactful book you've ever read by i think by far the most impactful book i've ever read is the one we mentioned already the mom test by rob fitzpatrick i've read it probably four or five times now and i intend on just keep reading it as many times as i can whenever uh, i need a top up 
for me, it basically just like, that was a lightning bolt moment, I think. I, for me, it just made me realize how much conversations are just based on ego and wanting to, to get compliments about like, oh, you're really doing a great job or get people to just validate what I want to hear. Um, so yeah, the mom test really helped me think a lot more about what way conversation should be when you're trying to, to really test a validation point. And it's changed the entire way that I think about building Opinion X for sure. So that would be probably the most impactful book I've ever read. If you had one request for the listeners, um, I say as a plural, but I'm pretty sure it's just my mom. Um, what would you What would you want them to do, or is there anything they could do for Opinion X, or reach out to you, or? Well, most definitely feel free to reach out to me for, for whatever. Um, like I'm, I'm very easy to find online anyway. So just Daniel Klein on Twitter or um, LinkedIn or just email daniel at opinionx.co. Like in, in general, for as, as requests for OpinionX go, like I don't really have, have much to ask for on that front. I just think like we said at the start, especially for younger listeners, um, like just make sure whatever you're doing, you're doing it for yourself and you're following a good passion and then once you know what that passion is, ask people you respect in that field for advice and, and just see where things go from there. So that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Infinity Inc. But make sure to subscribe to be the first to hear about our weekly episodes with young founders like Daniel setting out visions for the future and then actually executing on them. <laughs>